May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last week, I shared the sermon that I had preached 12 years ago on Good Shepherd Sunday, the morning before the Joplin tornado devastated the town. It was a sermon based on the end of the second chapter of Acts, detailing all the church was meant to be. Well, this morning, Peter tells us then the church can only be that if it is founded on Jesus Christ. Peter wrote, As you come to him a living stone, rejected by men but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Now this analogy of Jesus Christ as being the, a rock and our redeemer, the stone on which everything is based, it, it wasn't original to Peter. It's something that goes all the way through the scripture. Psalm 95 urges people, the people of God, to make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. As you heard from Psalm 19 just a moment ago, we pray with the psalmist, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Psalm 62 says, he is my only rock and only hope of salvation. And God himself shouts through the prophet Isaiah, Is there any God beside me? I know of not one, for I am your rock. The whole worship life of the Jews revolved around rocks and stones. The altars of the patriarchs long before the sojourn into Egypt, those altars were built of stones and rocks that would be found in the field. And they would be stacked up. And they were even told, the Israelites were even told, until the time comes for you to build the temple, when you build an altar, make it of stone unhewn. What does that mean? It means you couldn't shape the stones. You had to find the stones that fit and put them into place and put your sacrifices on them, on rocks just the way you found them, just the way God caused them to be. And when the temple was built in Jerusalem, the dominant feature was an altar of sacrifice that was supposedly built on the same stone as Abraham had been called on to build an altar of sacrifice 
to give up his son Isaac, the one where the Lord himself provided the lamb for the sacrifice. The offerings to the Lord on the altar were at the center of Jewish religious life. So Peter calling Christ the living stone wasn't new or strange. He took the analogy a giant step further and made it have even greater impact. Because he wasn't just remembering a place of sacrifice. He was steering people to the one who sacrificed once and for all. who made himself the sacrifice. He wasn't pointing to an object or a, or a stack of objects or even to a location. And he certainly wasn't just sharing an abstract idea like a, an object lesson. He was writing about the Son of God who paid the price for us, redeeming us with his precious blood. And like any good preacher, Peter supported the truth of his message from Scripture. He quoted Isaiah. Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. You want to have a sure foundation. One more little bit of nostalgia, you'll get tired of it. But one more little bit of the nostalgia from 12 years ago. Since half of our teachers had their houses destroyed by the tornado that hit our, our town, they were understandably a little jittery about sticking around. I was, I considered myself blessed that none of them took positions elsewhere. You know, there are a lot of places that could really use trained Lutheran teachers. And now half of them had no place to live. And so when we would do tornado drills, the one time that I joined them, I could see that they were going through the motions, but that inwardly, it made them die a little every time we did a drill. So we built safe rooms, gigantic safe rooms. Two of them, we'll put the two together, they'd be about the size of this sanctuary. And we used those as our preschool rooms. And we, we looked at what it would cost to do that, and they said $800,000. And we said, fine. And then we started with the build, and they said, oops. There's a mine shaft right under where you want to put your, your school. Joplin was a mining town. There are mines everywhere. So they, I said, well, what's it going to cost? What's it going to be the, the, the next uh, step that we take? We could put it elsewhere. And they say, and have the same problem probably. So what we're going to do is we're going to dig down below that mine shaft and fill everything in with non-compactable soil. 
So now our $800,000 build was a $2 million build. By the way, by the time I left there, we had paid it off. But $2 million, it cost more to put in the foundation than it did for the entire rest of the building. But it was necessary. Because if it's not built on a solid foundation, the weight of the building is going to bring it all down. Things are going to crack. They might even fall in on the very people that you're trying to protect. A good, solid foundation is precious. And necessary. Back in the ancient world, cornerstones were not just places when you said when you donated the money to build a building or when that building was finally completed. And it certainly wasn't a place where you'd put in the documents that could be dug out several years later. Nothing wrong with those things. But in the ancient world, the cornerstone was just as important as a keystone. If you didn't have the right keystone and arch, the whole thing fell down. If you didn't have the right cornerstone, then the whole building would be out of kilter, out of plumb. Jesus is our cornerstone. That's what Peter says. With his self-sacrifice for sin, he determined all the angles and all the shapes that the house of God would have. The church, then and now, as we just sang, has only one foundation. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is his person as the Son of God and his redeeming work as the only Savior that determines all the dimensions and the alignment of all Christian doctrine. Because when you read through the scripture, you know you might come to any number of conclusions, but the clear testimony of scripture is that there is one Lord and God. And that from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, the story is the story of your redemption. And if there's anything in there that you think violates that message or gives a different witness, you're required to look at it again. Because there's one story. And so if you look at something and you come up with a new idea that the church of God has not thought of in the last 8,000 years, the chances that you might be wrong are greater than the fact that they might be. So you should ask yourself, does this serve the gospel of Christ? Or does it dilute it? Is this something that proclaims the glories of God? Or something where I think I can draw a crowd? If it detracts from Jesus' person as the eternal Son of God, or directs people for salvation to something or someone other than Jesus, 
or even in addition to Jesus. It is a harmful teaching. Having established that Jesus is the only cornerstone, the foundation, then Peter goes on to say something surprising about Jesus that I featured in my announcements today. He says, For those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling. In the Greek, a scandalon. A rock of offense. Now we can all agree that We're assembled here because we know that Jesus Christ is our true foundation. And when we have come to him broken, as we sang before the service, we have come to him and he has healed us. When we have come weak, he has strengthened us. When we have once again sinned, it's to him that we look for forgiveness. He lifts us up. He loves us. He forgives us. He grants us eternal life. So it's odd to hear that he is the rock of stumbling over which many fall. But what Peter is telling us is that there is the nature of Jesus that is an either or. Forgiveness of sins is ours in Christ Jesus alone. Nowhere else. He is the way, the truth, our life. Remember, Peter had heard Jesus say, Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with us scatters. But he also says, Now you. Peter tells us, Now you. You're not stumbling over Jesus. You are a chosen race. I thought the chosen race was the Jews. You are the new Israel. So is the old Israel. All of us are in need of the salvation that comes to us by God keeping his promise. We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people of God's own possessions so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, the Latin word for priest is pontifex, which translates literally as bridge builder. Before you think, okay, sure, fine, pastor, you're all high and mighty, you think of yourself as the bridge builder between yourself and God? Between these people and God? Well, yeah, I do! And so should you think of yourself in exactly that way. Because Peter's not saying, okay, everybody who graduated from seminary is a a nation of priests. He's saying everyone who is built on the rock that is Jesus Christ. 
every Christian is a, a bridge builder, a witness, an ambassador. Choose your image. We are here to bring Jesus. We are here to share Jesus. We are here so that if somebody pulls over on the highway of life asking for direction, we let them know there's the bridge. All Christians are royal priests, chosen and made holy through Christ and belonging to God. With the good news so that others can make the connection and be called out of darkness into wonderful light of Christ. And God accomplishes this by making somebodies out of nobodies. Peter's words are right out of the Old Testament. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Think about what this meant to the Gentiles to hear Jewish Peter say this. In the past, the Jews had made the Gentiles feel like they were all outsiders. The Goyim. Not part of God's chosen people. But now the assurance was that through God's grace in Christ... All the titles of position and privilege and honor that had been applied to God's chosen people, the keepers of the covenant, the apple of God's eye. That now describes us. The same assurance comes to us. We belong to God. Think what it meant to them. And what, what it means to us when we hear Peter say, once you had not received mercy, but now you have. It says that every one of us lives under the mercy of God. And it's God's plan that the whole building be raised up and stand. I talked a little bit before about making sure that we had that precious foundation when we built those safe rooms that were classrooms. But you know, once we had all those pilings driven so deep into the ground, we couldn't just throw down a blanket and ask the kids to just gather on that. What's the most important part of the building? Hey, I've been here when, it, when we had hail falling outside. Remember that? Yeah, hitting up against these windows and such. And I was, I was thinking, thank God those are big windows. To me, the roof was pretty important that day. The windows were mighty important that day. Having a solid foundation. And, and in other words, what's the most important part of the building that God is building? All of it. All of it. Every brick in the wall. 
every piece of wire that runs through there, every lighting fixture, all of it, is important to what we are doing here and now. And it's all part of God's plan that we together would be built up, I don't know if you see yourself as a cinder block for God, or as a stained glass window through whom the light can shine. They're all important, and so are you. In Jesus Christ, you are somebody. A priestly bridge builder, a living stone, built into the spiritual house in which Christ the living stone dwells. Don't dismiss this as if, as if it's unimportant. You are a vital part of God's building. There's no one who can take your place in God's building or in God's plan for you because no one else is exactly like you. No one else knows precisely the same people you know or has the same connections that God has given you or the same life situation or the same opportunity to uniquely and yet as one to proclaim the praises of him who called us out out of darkness into his marvelous light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, to life everlasting. Amen. I believe in one God, Light of light, very God, very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come.